You're listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. Hi, I'm Des Trainer from Intercom. And today I'm joined by Braden Coates from Google Ventures. Hey, Braden. Hey, Des. Maybe just for the sake of our listeners, could you briefly introduce yourself? Sure. I'm a design partner at Google Ventures. Uh, so my job is basically to help startups build better products. Sounds like a pretty fun job. It is a really good job, yeah. What, um, what do Google Ventures do? So Google Ventures invests in startups all around the ecosystem. Uh, we've invested in almost 300 companies here in the U.S. We've opened a, a European fund, and we have about two billion dollars over two billion dollars in under management. Wow, 300 startups! That must be a lot of companies to look at. Right. So there's there's five designers on our design team here, and then you know 300 startups to help. So it, we're pretty busy. Yeah. So you're just a casual in-house designer for 60 companies, is that it? Well, so. We realized pretty early on that we weren't going to be able to do all the design work for our portfolio. I mean, at the beginning, I was there, there was maybe five companies, and that felt pretty easy. I could just go to a company for a month and help them out a bit, and then go to the next company for a month. Um, but then it, it scaled beyond that. And so now we try to help in all sorts of ways, but mostly it's about um, figuring out how to make the, help the company be good at design um, or help them understand what design is. Right, right. So maybe if we just go back a bit, why... why um is our venture capitalist hiring designers? Is that a thing these days? It seems to be kind of a trend. So I, I got into it about five years ago, um, and since then there's just there's been this kind of run of venture capital funds hiring designers. You know, I, Irene is at Irene Ao is at Kosla, John Meda is at Kleiner Perkins, and there's a couple other firms that have that have hired sort of full time designers. Is this like an acknowledgement of? VC firms of the fact that design is like has a massive multiplicative value for companies. I think so. Um, the, the big thing that I saw originally when I started in this was that founders knew that design was important, but they weren't quite sure how to get it. And actually, I think five years ago, they were kind of, they heard design was important, but they didn't quite believe it. And now, fast forward today, they really believe it and they need it. And it's, it's, a, it's a serious thing that they need to figure out. But they're still a little bit in the dark if they've never worked with design, particularly at the core of their business, like figuring out what the product is. So you didn't start in a design role at Google Ventures, I presume. You were in Google beforehand, is that right? Yeah, so I was at Google. Um, I'll be at Google for about 10 years now in September. So wow. I remember back when there was only a couple designers. <laughs> well, in the whole company? Yeah, like we all sat in one place. Oh, wow, that, that's cool. Did you Back then, did you work on any products people would know or use? Yeah, I uh, I started on Gmail chat and we did a bunch of things. But my one of my first project was designing those little emoticons that turned sideways. Right. I think that's all they trusted me with at first. And are they the ones that are still live today. I don't think so. It's okay. just kind of a shame. I liked how they they kind of they kind of came in just like your normal type, and then yeah. they turned. So it was this sort of surprise that it was going to be an emoticon um, or emoji. I yeah. guess we called it. Yeah, them today. yeah. It's all hip now. Yeah, yeah you were you were a decade ahead of your time, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then I also worked on um, Google Enterprise, which is at the time it was just called Gmail for your domain, but we figured out how to uh, package and sell uh, a lot of the, the products that were part of Google Apps. I also worked on Google Docs and um, Gmail for a long time. And uh, Google Trends was my 20% time project, which was fun as well. Google Trends? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a pretty cool product to have as a 20%. Like, did, were you involved in the very start of it, or was it you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, what's does your day-to-day look like? It changes a, a lot from day-to-day, but um, we, well, I don't know. Let's see. Um, Mondays are usually office hours, so I just meet with tons of companies, and we talk about everything from their design process to what their hiring needs might be to doing a design critique for them right right then and there 
or just pretty much any kind of question or stress or challenge that they're having. These would be current companies that Google Ventures has backed, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, and then other days are just kind of filled in a little bit. So we do a lot of help with hiring for, for companies. So if you're a CEO and you need to go and hire a designer, you probably haven't interviewed a lot of designers. Our team actually has interviewed a lot of designers. Right. So we can help you get a read on someone's, um, uh, someone's skill set and figure out whether it's a match for your company. Uh, and then we also do a lot of events for the designers in our portfolio. So there's, there's many designers that are working at these startups, but often it can feel a little bit lonely if you're the only designer at a startup. And it can be pretty helpful to come in and talk to other people. So we'll run design critiques for groups of people. We'll do events where we talk about everything from, I don't know, how to use Envision to you know, design hiring and things like that. Right. Uh, and then... Um, and then sometimes we will do a deep dive with a with a team. So we'll spend a week with a company, and that's called a design sprint. Sure, design sprints are something uh, that Google Ventures has published a lot about. I believe you have a book coming yeah. out on that. Is that right? Yeah, we do. Um, what's the essence of what's the design sprint? So it's it's a bunch of things. Like in one ways, it's it's a way to get through a lot of the core parts of a design process in just five days. So you're the first day is kind of understand everything about your customer the best you can. The second day is sketch a lot of ideas. The third day is you know decide which ideas that you actually want to test and put them into kind of a storyboard form. The fourth day is prototyping. And the last day, Friday, is testing with customers. All, all pieces of those are just good parts of design process. And we cram it into a week for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that we can, it's a nice package, right? You can go in and, and kind of work with the team for that amount of time. Um, but also, it sort of gives someone the uh, and it and it gives a team a chance to see the whole design process in in one go and see how useful it can be, and then decide like, wow, if that was useful, can we put parts of that into our day to day practice? Right. So, would the recipient? I mean, like, would it be only designers involved, or would is everyone from a company involved? Yeah, we usually pull in about you know four to six people from the company, and then a couple of our designers. What we try to do is fill any skill gaps. Right. So if a if a startup doesn't have anyone to do front end engineering, we can help with a little prototyping. If they don't have any designers to do visual design, we can help with that too. Right. They did, no one can really copyright really well. I mean, we can we can help right. there too. So like, would a typical setup be like you know one of your companies that might have maybe whatever four to six person small smallish startups, right? For the most part, it, it's it's over the whole map. Actually, okay. sometimes we work with re- really big companies that are just about to IPO, and sometimes we work with literally two people in their basement. Right. Okay. So in the case of, I guess, two folks in the IPO, I mean, I presume people who are IPOing they have a chunk of ideas about how to do this stuff already. But um, in the case of like a small number of people, early stage startup, would they would would they come to you with an idea, or would they come to you with their existing product and say, "Here, we want to, we want to improve this," or is it like we need to build a new app to do X? Um, usually, you know, founders come with an idea already, and that's that's kind of a big change from, you know, where designers normally want to get involved. They say like, we, we want to go out and do a bunch of ethnographic research and come back and tell you what yeah. the need is here. And usually, founders come with a need. They're like, we, yeah. we believe this is this is true. Come and help us. And so, the typical design process doesn't work well here. Where you know, you'd hear someone say, "This is this is my plan. I'm going to like make a button to order pizza." And you're like, "Okay, interesting. I'll go talk to a lot of people." Yeah. And you come back and it like, turns out. They don't want the button to order pizza, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's not going to work well because founders are gr- are great at um, being headstrong yeah. and pushing forward when a lot of people say no. Um, so what you have to do instead is listen to that like, and take that energy on and say, okay, yeah. got it, button for ordering pizza, let's try that. Yeah. And embrace it and try to build it and maybe sneak in some of your ideas as well and very quickly help that entrepreneur get 
feedback from real customers. And then if it, you know, I'm, I'm pretty humble because there's so many times where I've thought, that's a crazy idea, but hey, let's test it because mm-hmm. there's no stopping you. Yeah. And so we test it and sometimes it actually works. Sometimes it doesn't work and we've you know, gotten another idea in there. And then it's easier to sit with someone and say, oh, well, we tried this and it didn't work. What are we going to do next? Versus I learned that your idea is bad. It's right. just a very different way of framing. Do you qualify the ideas at all? Like, I mean, if someone comes to you and it's like, you know, something, something ridiculous, like a button for ordering a cat, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, like, you know, you might, you know, even the most open-minded person be like, I'm not sure this is totally legal or whatever. Um, <laughs> do, like, you know, how much do you want them to bring? Like, obviously, uh, as you said, a designer would, would like to contribute from the, literally from the sort of embryonic stage. Mm-hmm. But uh, if someone comes to you, like, with a pretty headstrong idea on something that you think is probably not a great idea. Do you try and redirect or do you just say, we're on board, we'll see what we can do? I mean, well, first of all, luckily, we I get to work with companies that have really good ideas for the most part. I, I really like working with them. Um, in cases where it, it's like it's hard for me to think about how I would give feedback to it, I just assume for a moment that I'm on that team. I think, you know, let's assume that I started this six months ago. I'm a co-founder. What would I do in this case? And it's very rarely like, stop. Right. It's usually like, well... I'm I'm really worried about this risk and this risk and this risk, and if that's the case, like what what could we go and do to to measure that? Right. Um, you know, to like just sort of smooth over the risks or yeah. at the very least understand them a bit more. Exactly. Um, and what's the actual output of a design sprint? Well, I th- I think the biggest output is learning on a on a bunch of dimensions. Right. The first is that you you've learned about the customers up front. You've built a bunch of stuff and you've learned by building, which is a key part of design. You've put that, that design work in front of customers and you've learned which ideas work and which ideas don't work. And you've gotten the chance to go through a complete design process and you can learn from, from what that process will do for the rest of your business. Right. And um, if, like, is working in sprints, is that what you would advise a company to do anyway? Or is it something best done when you actually have the strength of, say, the Google Ventures design team? On top, or like, if you, if you had your own startup with like hundreds of people or whatever, would you also have them working design sprints all the time? Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, I think that design sprints work for all sorts of things, and it's remarkable to me since we've written these articles online that we've seen all sorts of teams, startups, and design agencies just run their own design sprints from the small amount of instructions that we've put out there. And I don't know, my my view of it is that there's not one way to to do a design process, right? It's like cooking in the kitchen, right? right. There's like a thousand different ways to make a cake. Um, what we're publishing is one way to make a yeah. cake that we think is pretty tasty cake. And yeah. if you've never cooked before, it would be a good recipe to, to try. Um, but I enjoy the fact that we're all trying to figure out the best way to work as product designers. And I think those methodologies will will be much more um, kind of fit and mature within the next five years. That right. like, it, it, you know, think back 10 years and, and how design fit with business and it was like pure chaos. And now it's getting a little bit, there's, there's starting to be like interesting and more common ways where design and engineering and product all kind of fit together and, and learn how to work. And I assume in the next decade, it'll, it'll get a lot, a lot, it'll look a lot more like engineering. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I know agile. I know, I know this methodology and a bunch of people can come together and, and work together and have expectations about who does what and how it all fits together. Right. What is the relationship of a design sprint with engineering? Well, we, usually we have an engineer in the room from the very beginning. It's important to understand, you know, what's easy, what's hard, what's impossible, yeah. uh, or what's even possible yeah. to begin with. Right. And is is that their contribution, or would you also have them sketch and you know ideate and stuff? Yeah, we make everyone in the sprint, act, you know, draw draw pictures yeah. and sketch and do all that stuff. Does that get awkward? <laughs> 
It, you know, usually, you know, on the second day when we say, okay, we've done all the unpacking, we kind of understand what the biggest challenges are. Today, we're going to sketch. Like, people, you get this like, fear in people's eyes. And I get that because my background is engineering and I came to design kind of through the idea of, of building things for people. Uh, so I wasn't, you know, I'm never good at, at drawing. But then we, we, the goal is to get ideas from people and not to, and to take away all the other barriers. And so we do a lot of things to help that. First of all, we point out that it's mostly when you're drawing sketches for UIs, it's mostly boxes and, and writing copy, right? It's not, not that hard. Yeah. Um, second, we, um, we give people post-it notes to sketch on. We have them draw three separate post-it notes. And that helps for a number of reasons. Because if, if you mess up on one post-it note, you can crank yeah. it up and throw it away without having to screw up your whole drawing. But more importantly, I think it makes you think about, it's like a little comic strip. Like this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. And those, Is that what the three are? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a little vignette or a little story, right. and that focuses you, focuses you so much more on the value you're delivering to people and the interaction with people, which is the important part of the idea, than the structure or the icons yeah. or the layout. And that's that's less important. Someone with good UI design skills can go and put that all together, um, but that core idea needs to be good, and that story format focuses everyone on on the idea. Yeah. It's also interesting how. Um Oftentimes, I think you know, somewhat attractive or pretty sketches can actually mask a pretty bad idea. Yeah, early on, you know, I because I had gotten a little bit better at UI sketching, and so I had a twenty percent gray marker and I had a little highlighter, and okay. I would, I would start sketching stuff to make my ideas yeah, look okay. better. And Jake was like, "You need to cut that out because <laughs> your your ideas are looking better, and some of these other ideas are actually better, yeah. but they don't look as good. Yeah. And we want to we want to keep things uh, even." Yeah. That's actually true. A, yeah, I mean, I remember when I used to consult, I used to insist that no one, everyone had to use the exact same marker. Yeah. Because even somebody who has a fatter marker, their ideas will look more authoritative or more, totally. you know, if people have color, all of a sudden the color ones just win by default on sheer aesthetic, like that's attractive, but it's, you know, it's a mess. I also went through my phase of like semi-trans, oh, semi <laughs> uh, you know, fancy paper, fancy markers. Right. At one point I was like buying like probably $100 a week, but like, I think it was a Bill Books who once said like that um, your idea should never look any more complete than it is in your head. Yeah. And so the very second I find myself filling in boxes and shading things, it's just, you know, what, what are you actually doing here? You know? Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, what, uh, in terms of like, you know, you, if you get these sketches, uh, I presume that like helps get the ideas on paper. Uh, is there like, what's the shift from there to prototyping? Yeah, so, you know, We'll usually do the first day of, of figuring out what the challenges are. The second day, we'll sketch a lot of these tiny storyboards with just three different frames. And then the third day, this kind of decide day, is all about how do we take those individual sketches and put them into a storyboard that we can use as a blueprint for building the prototype. So that, that third day is really around stitching everything together. Right. And that's it's hard, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's hard for a number of reasons. You have to probably throw out some ideas and tell yeah. people, like, your idea is good, but we're just not going to use it this week. Um, and the way that we do that is through this voting procedure that we use a lot in a sprint. Right. We get these little sticky dots there up there on the wall and look at them. Oh, we'll post a photo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you. Uh, uh, and much like you said uh, around the the pens, right? Like yeah. having everyone use the same pen kind of makes the idea more anonymous. Mm -hmm. We do the same thing with the with the dots. We just have everyone go around and, and vote on the parts of the sketch that they like. Yeah. Uh, and then at first they can they have unlimited votes, so it's more of a heat map, and then. Then we do a critique. What that allows us to do is kind of skip over the, the sketches that didn't get almost any votes. We can narrow in on the parts of the sketch that people really liked and talk about yeah. them. I'm sure like, you know, someone could listen to that and say it sounds an awful lot like design by committee. 
Yeah, well, then the next step that we do is uh, this thing called super votes where we give <laughs> everyone, everyone, you know, we have a process for everything. Yeah. We give everyone, I think, about two stickers and we say, okay, now if we only prototyped two things, what would they be? And we usually take the decider and it might be the CEO, it might be the product manager. Right. In some cases, uh, we've had teams where the CEO said, no, the, the customer support person knows the most about this problem. They get the super, they get like right. special votes. And so then everyone has to kind of put their currency on the ideas they think are best going to solve the problem right. that we're working on that week. And that that usually, that rarely comes out to be this design by committee thing. Usually ideas sort of lump up in this way that um, is is important. And and sometimes you'll get this this chance where it's like, wow, the team is over here and the decider is over here. Well, what are we going to do? In those cases, we can actually build two prototypes usually and take like, well, we'll take the wisdom of the crowd and do that. And we'll take the founder's intuition and we'll do that. And we'll put these two prototypes next to each other and have customers sort of shop between them. Like, right. you know, of all these things, maybe you'll put some competitors in, you'll put yeah. these two prototypes in and say, how are these different? Who are these built for? And you sort of get a sense of like, right. if they say, oh, this one's built for me, then you yeah. get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um one thing I'm kind of curious about is uh, like it sounds like the decide day is almost like a crash course in product management uh, in that you're kind of picking what actually what way you're actually going to solve the problem, right? Yeah. Um, for like you know, is there a, is there a suitable size product or project for a design sprint? Like, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine. I could I could think of like some products would just be like too complex to try and tackle mm-hmm. the entire domain in one sprint. Right. In those cases, do you just hone in on a specific workflow and you and does that bake in assumptions about the rest of the system or yeah we usually on the first day sort of draw out a, a customer journey basically we'll we'll draw some customer types on the left side of the board and then from those types we'll draw some like what does this person do next and what do they do next and what do they do next at a very very high level you get a sense of the important flows and and pathways in the product and then um we talk about all, everything we know about the customer and the whole thing and we, we pull out some challenges and, and do that same voting exercise on the challenges. And then we'll take the, the biggest challenges that we've identified and we put them on the journey. Right. And that helps us sort of scope it and say, well, it looks like some of the biggest risks and the biggest challenges are in this section of the journey. Let's sketch there. That's usually where most of the sketching and the prototyping happens. But then when we show it to customers, we usually have to just fake a little bit more of it before to get them into context. You can't right. just show up with a picture of your thing and say, what do you think of the screen? Yeah. You have to help people imagine what it's like to use it. So then we'll usually go back and either take screenshots out of the current product or very quickly right. just put something together for the early screens. But what we're really doing is leading customers through to that that moment that we we hope uh, works well. So um, when, you like, when you talk about the final deliverable there and actually trying to present it in some sort of real context with users, like... I've seen variations of, like, say, prototypes which are purely paper, all the mm-hmm. way through to like interactive wireframes, yeah. and then like almost fully interactive HTML, CSS prototypes. Do you have a preference, or, or do you like let it be decided by type of project? Yeah, I mean, there's certain. I think of it as you, you know, you, you're making your product more real, and hopefully, every time you do, you learn a little bit from it. And I think there's so this is like a line on a graph of like how real is it and how much are we learning. And I think there's some methods that kind of like fall. A little right. low below yeah. that line, and so you know we were talking about sketching. I think that's great. Like, yeah. You can get your ideas out fast. It's very democratic. Everyone on the yeah. team can do it. Um, paper prototyping, I feels like it takes a lot of time to actually yeah. stitch together, and it isn't any better than actually just doing a rough like kind of uh, mock up of it. Yeah. And so that that's kind of how we are, are one of our sweet spots is this kind of 
mid-fidelity. It's not yeah. low-fidelity like paper prototyping. It's not wireframes. It's yeah. real enough that customers probably think it's real, yeah. but it's not beautiful. So yeah. designers are usually very embarrassed by it. They're yeah. like, oh, if I just had like one more day, I could make this look good. And you're like, you don't have one more day because yeah. we're going to show it to customers. And it, it turns out that it kind of doesn't matter. Like all the things that we really worry about as designers, like is that, is that stroke on that icon exactly right? I, I mean, I can't show it to anyone until that is exactly right. It turns out customers like, you know, when all that stuff is there, it'll add to the delight. But usually the stuff that you need to figure out at a startup is, are we even building the right thing? Yeah. And if you're trying to answer that question, you don't need to worry about the, the stroke on the icon. So as painful as it is, I mean, this is one of the things I love about the sprint, is it forces you to, to move very, very fast. And it feels so uncomfortable, both to make those decisions yeah. we talked about on Wednesday, like, oh, we got to throw out ideas and we don't have any data. Or as a designer prototyping on Thursday, where you're like, oh, if I had just a little bit more time, I could make this good. But it turns out that if the purpose of the whole thing is for learning, you don't have the data really to make the right decisions in those. Like, you know, sometimes you can like, you can guess a little bit, but you're really going in the dark. And what I like about that tight time frame is that it it pushes you through the stuff that you don't know about and gets you very quickly to learning. Right. Um, I mean, an interesting like trait, the way you describe it there, is that like the a prototype is. The key attributes, it sounds like you're saying, you know, fast to create, uh, re- interactive, and reasonably real to users. Yeah. Um, which would kind of almost instantly relegate, you know, fancy paper prototypes, fancy interactive wireframes, all that sort of stuff. Do you see, is there a purpose for those? For those is, or is it just, you know, I don't know how to code, so this is the next best thing I can do? Uh, yeah, I think there's absolutely a purpose for those. Um, other kinds of, pro- so like there's this mid-fi prototype that we like, which is sort of like an Envision or Flinto type of, you wire yeah. up a couple screens, um, you can build it really fast, the visual shouldn't be too good. Um, and then the next level of stuff I really like is when you can get real data in the product. Right. Um, it's something I learned on Gmail, we would design these things and everyone was like, that's great. And then um, at the time, the engineers had this kind of, this really cool JSON interface that we right. could grab internally. And so we could put our own email in you know, very quickly, yeah. like build a pro- like yeah. a week or so, yeah. we could build a prototype with our ideas. And once you saw your own mail in your design, it was yeah. like, whoa, that's, that's horrible, no way. And it was amazing to me how it changed from something you loved to something you hated just by seeing your own data in there. Right. And that's been true over and over, the, you know, as we've done other things. Like if people don't like it in mock-up form, they're yeah. probably not going to like it with real data. But even if they do like it in mock-up form, um, when you put the real data in, it can change a lot of things. And it can point out, you know, core data problems in yeah. some cases we've found like, oh, yeah. we don't even have the right data here. Now now we have to go solve that yeah. issue. So I like real data prototypes. And then the last kind of set of tests that I, I think are really helpful is right before you launch. Right. Because you think it's great, you know, you've tested it a bunch, but there's all sorts of little bugs that you'll find typically when you when you show it to customers. And it's much easier to fix those the week before launch than the week after launch. For sure, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe move on a little, little bit, Em. User research is something I know you're, you're passionate about. Yeah. Do you think startups respect it enough, do it enough these days? Well, I don't think they, they do it enough. Um, it's, it's, it's in some ways the e- easiest thing we do for startups is help them see what their customers are doing with their product or help them imagine, or I'll give you an example. I was talking to a founder the other day and he's, he had like a rough prototype together and he said, I can't wait to get this out and launch so we can get feedback from our customers. And I said, what if we could get you feedback from your customers before you launch? Because that would be great. Like, how do I do that? I said, well, there's this thing called user research. And actually, you know, you can get a lot of good feedback and answer a good segment of your questions without actually having to launch, which means you're not 
um, solidifying your your product, you can still stay, stay very flexible. Yeah. And it won't answer things for certain, right? Like yeah. you won't know exactly how many people will click or buy or do whatever. Right. But if people don't like, if your target customer does not like your idea in an interview, chances are they also won't like it on their own. What is an example? Like, let's if we take the you know um, you push a button to order a holiday or order a pizza or whatever type uh, product. How would you go about researching for that? Um, I mean, I think there's lots of reasons why people you know don't do customer research. I mean, for the first. You know, we've we've heard you know get out of the building a lot, right? Yeah, for sure. Like just get out of the building and talk to your customers. But often that's usually where the conversation stops. And what I've found is that a lot of teams when they go out and talk to customers, they feel more randomized. Right? They're like, I talked to ten people, they were all like told me different stuff, and I kind of fuzzily remember what people some people said. And this one story sticks in my mind. Right. I'm going to tell that story, and I get it. Like that's not very helpful. What you're really trying to do with customer research at, at, when you're trying to evaluate whether this idea is good or not um, is to see patterns. And if you talk to a random set of people and ask them all different questions and don't have any real method to figure out you know, and think through what you heard, you're going to just feel more randomized. Right. And those are the three things that we try to control. First, we try to think about who are your target customers and how can we get uh, many of them that are very similar to each other, like right in your target demographic or your psychographic or whatever. The second is, how do you put together an interview script so you ask the right type of questions, questions that will answer like what you're trying to figure out, but also ones that people can answer truthfully right. and honestly and give you good data from? And third, how do you listen to all those interviews, make sense of them, and help the team understand all the stuff that was heard, pull out the patterns and, and uh, create actions from that? So like the core mistakes you're outlining, like if, you know, Typical startup 101 will do is likely talk to a random group of people asking semi random group of questions and come back with like one anecdote that resonated, right? And then build a whole product along that, right? Or, or at least propose to, right? Yeah, that's it. Seems pretty uh, familiar to me. Um, I've certainly talked to companies where they have they have that one user that they met once and uh, and like they're still solving the problem for them, right? Independent of the face of all this new data, absolutely, yeah. After you launch, I guess, is the first time you can see things like you know usage behavior right. metrics. How does that, uh, do you take that uh, alongside the research you did before or does it trump it? Or? I mean, at some level it trumps it, right? Because if, if everything looks good in research and then you launch it and no one uses it, yeah. what are the chances reality it's actually good? Us. Yeah, no, reality is here. Yeah. It's not working. Yeah. Um, but I think it's always a, a balance. Right, a, a B testing and optimization and, and behavioral metrics in general tell you what your current customers are doing with the product exactly. But it doesn't tell you why they're doing it. So if stuff isn't working, you often don't know how to fix it. Um, but more importantly, I think for startups is, you know, if, you, if you've launched and you're, you're kind of rolling along and things are kind of okay, part of what you want to do usually is grow your customer base. Mm-hmm. And looking at your behavioral metrics, it only shows you what your current customers are doing with the product, not what the customers you don't have want from your product. Yeah. So if someone heard about your product at a cocktail party and was like, mm, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's for me. Or they like they went to your website and loaded it once and was like, mm, yeah, this doesn't seem like it's for me, close. Like, those are the people you really want to figure out. Why do you not think this product is for you? Why? And that's never going to, like, no amount of number crunching or, like, looking yeah. at the logs is going to teach you that stuff. It's only going to talk to people. Right. So, in general, like, my from the 10,000-foot view of how we understand customers, it's first based on what your question is and then the methods that you can go and use right. to answer those questions. In general, um, like, so obviously you've worked on, you know, some of the 
biggest consumer products of this generation of the internet in terms of Gmail and stuff like that. And you've now worked with, I presume, very small, as you said, like two to six people, startups. Uh, how is like design different in terms of scale or structure? I think, well, certainly at startups, you have much more time pressure. You have to answer the question now. Um, and you have much more flexibility in what the product will be. But I think the, the most exciting thing is that as a member of a startup team, there aren't as strict boundaries in your roles. Right? You'll come in as a designer, but you end up doing copywriting and customer yeah. support and you know brand development and all these other things that you wouldn't The full stack designer. <laughs> exactly. That's also writing you know, yeah. back-end code, yeah. right? Uh, and that's, that for me is, is the most fun part because you get to learn all these other skills. Yeah, right. Um, in terms of a like hiring, you spoke about it earlier. How like you'll oftentimes CEOs of startups have probably never hired a designer. Mm-hmm. You've probably interviewed thousands, maybe hundreds at least. I think in the hundreds, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, do you try to teach them how to do it, or do you just step in and get them started with a first couple of hires? We do both, and I think the the first thing we try to help them understand is that design is such a broad discipline. There's so many like this fashion designers and automotive designers and industrial designers. And, and that's just in the big scale. Even within product design, there's people that are better at interaction design or visual design or all these little yeah. uh, tinier skills, these more granular skills. So what we try to do with them is take an audit. Like, what are all the kind of design skills we think might be appropriate? Which ones does your company really need? So if you're a company that needs to, to communicate trust, you might need visual design to create a brand and a feeling of trust in your product. If that isn't as important, yeah. then you don't need visual design as much. So you kind of do that audit of like where we need design at this yeah. more granular, granular level. And then you look at what skills do we currently have in our company? And then the delta between that, the difference is, oh, we should hire for those skills. Right. And once you have those like tinier skills, then you can write your job description and then you can go and interview people on yeah. those skills. When, um, when it comes to actually like, teach, is there like interview skills or techniques that you'll teach? Or uh, how, like, how does one make a company better at interviewing or designers? Yeah, well, we, we, we often do it with a company so right. they can, so they can, can see our style. Side but the biggest thing that I look for is when... when you know, designers come and they bring their work, is I ask them what problem they were trying to solve, what they did to solve it, and how they know it worked. Right. And it's amazing how often design can't tell you that full closed loop. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people can tell you that, that full closed loop, it feels really good because I'm sure they've been building instincts. Yeah. I tried this thing, this is my way I tried to solve it, and it didn't work. So I tried this other thing, and it did work. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Because often design is in a consultant, like... Um, relationship with people like my job as a designer is to make you happy you tell me something that i should build and when i build it that makes you happy i'm done i'm gone yeah Yeah. either like i'm back at another client or like i I feel good because my manager is happy but when you're doing that you're building these instincts that more are more around making people you know people within a company happy making a a client happy than you are uh, building these instincts around how you make things that customers enjoy and yeah. like to use and find yeah. delightful. And so I want to—I always want to see that a designer has built something and then they validate it in some way with real right. customers. Yeah. I think there's also one other difference between consultancy design and say in-house uh, product yeah. design is a there's a, like a long-term ownership that is inherent when you're actually the product designer on a Gmail or something like that, yeah. which is that like if you make a mistake, you're going to know about it and it's on you to fix it. Uh, you don't get to sort of like you know hand over your PDF and run out the door with your right. bag of cash. There's accountability, right? Yeah. So if you launch this thing and then it doesn't, you know, increase signups or increase yeah. retention or whatever, it's 
It's on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, or like the other way to look at it is you have to fix it now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you learn a lot in that fixing. Yeah, yeah. Because I've I've been humbled so many times by stuff I thought would work and you know, we did research and it didn't work. Or we did research and it did work and we launched it, but it didn't work. Right. It's so hard to build things for people. Yeah. It's also, yeah, that feedback loop of like, did this actually work is like kind of essential for making a great product designer too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like, you know, user behavior is kind of your core material. If you can't understand it and manipulate it, then, you know, you're not, you know, you're kind of robbing yourself of one of the key things that will make you better. Absolutely. Um, maybe lastly, we'll just talk about the future of design. Um, are there areas you think were like, you know, there's so much great product design, but like a lot of it's funneled into like, you know, beautiful consumer apps um, that maybe have some, sometimes just a little bit novel or or, yeah. uh, or fun. But are there areas where you think we're badly missing like great product design, or do you still encounter these? Like, it feels like you're stepping back into the '90s here and there. I think, um, and th- th- I know this is going to be maybe a not a satisfying answer, but right. I think it's hard to know when design is good or bad, right. because Good design is often invisible. I know that's like mm-hmm. just a thing people say a lot, but um, it's easy to point out where the visual design is good because we can all see it. And we yes. go, oh, that looks slick and amazing. Uh, but there was this company I, I worked with a couple years ago where um, they were doing coupons. Mm-hmm. And we looked at their site and it looked a little crazy and we said, we can make this better. Yeah. So we redesigned all the visual design. We like did some user studies and we improved some of the usability problems with it. And we put it back in front of customers and they they looked at this new fancy visual design that that looked really good, and they said, "Wait, who's behind this thing? Are people making money off of me?" And we realized that, oh, th- this is yeah. this is br- like we screwed it up. We mm-hmm. tried to make it beautiful for us, but in doing so, we made we broke the product. Right. And so we basically put in all sorts of clutter and changed the fonts around to make them a little worse. And that concern from customers went away, and we realized, like, look if. If other people had seen this, a designer, they would say that's bad design, yeah. right? Like the layout is screwy, the fonts are not as good. Look at all yeah. these colors; there, it's it's wild. But in reality, it, it was it was the right design for the right customer group. It was good design, yeah. Yeah. but it would be very hard for anyone without that knowledge to, to detect that. So I'm I'm pretty humble at saying like, yeah. oh, here are the places that have great design, and here are the places that don't, because I I don't know what their customers are doing with the product. I don't have that that sense. All that being said, um, I think the place to work on design are the places where designers aren't. You know, right. like go go to the where's, where's the, the hockey thing, skate to where yeah, the, skate the to puck, where is, puck going. is going. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, and I think that tends to be more in in places where adoption is hard yeah. um, and where switching costs are high. Yeah. So it might be business to business. It yeah. might be health. It might be areas yeah. like that. Uh, education, I think, is possibly one as well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, Lastly, just the actual practice of design. Like you started out as engineering originally, mm-hmm. um, obviously worked through designs, um, and now you've kind of a, have a ten thousand foot view uh, from your position. Um, where do you see the the whole discipline going? Um, I, I think, like I said earlier, that design will will be better at at um, all of our methodologies. Like I think back to engineering, like you know early on in engineering, where you yeah. would go to an engineering team and say, I'd like you to build this. And they say, no problem, we'll have it yeah. done in six months. Six months, they're like, we're halfway done, and it's yeah. like totally buggy and horrible. Yeah, yeah. It didn't work at all. Two years later. <laughs> right, and two years later, yeah. it finally ships, and it still has a lot of bugs yeah. in it. You're like, that was that was a bad time for engineering, yeah. right? And for the most part, engineers have figured that out. Yeah. Like, you you say, hey, I need this thing built, and they're like, yep, 
it'll probably take this long and we've got this agile methodology and all these other things to keep us on track and to build it iteratively and and yeah. when it when it's done it, it like there's a few exceptions you know like twitter had its bumpy time there yeah, but yeah. for the most part engineers can build what needs to get built now it's mm-hmm. remarkable as yeah. a discipline they're very yeah. good at it but when you look at you know product management product product design design there's so many times where we say oh people will love this we're going to shift this is going to be amazing <laughs> and we're wrong a lot yeah. Yeah. You know, a fair amount of time we're wrong. And it reminds me of like, you know, that's very similar to the way engineering was a, a while yeah. ago. And I think that the things that change in engineering in terms of the, the disciplines that they have and their methodologies becoming more standardized and finding stuff that works, mm-hmm. um, I think that'll happen for the rest of design. Does that, so does that sound, what's that look like? Uh, more structured processes, that type of thing? Well, back, you know, back in the day of engineering, one of the big challenges was, was quality. Right. So people would write code and there were lots of bugs. And so then they introduced a quality team. They said, you know, these are people writing the code and these are people writing the tests. Yeah. And you, the first group, you get bonuses when we ship on time. And the second group, you get bonuses when there's no bugs. Right. Those people never really got along very well. Right. And we didn't have quality software. At some point, the, the software people said, you know what? Software quality is everyone's job. We can't just right. put it off into the side team over there and make it their job. So today you'll see engineers writing tests, which is mm-hmm. crazy yeah. compared to the viewpoint of you know a decade or two ago. For sure. They're spending time doing something that they didn't consider their job before. Right. Now, fast forward to today, right? We've got engineering teams that are kind of humming along, and but we care about a different kind of quality. We care about product quality. Right. And so now we put a team over in the corner. We call it the design team. We say, you're, you're in charge of making the product something people want to use, making it high quality, and everyone else here is, is uh, responsible for shipping on time. It's the same exact thing again. Yeah. And what I imagine will change about it is that we'll, we'll again have to realize that quality is everyone's job. It's not just the designer's job. It's not just the product designer's job. Um, it's everyone's job. And what will shift, I think, will be that people will start to incorporate parts of design into their job in ways that otherwise they they wouldn't think was part of their job today. So just like engineers write unit tests today as part of their job, I think people will be spending more time doing things like design sprints or watching customer interviews or doing design critiques. Not like everyone needs to know fonts and, you know, sure. be good at Photoshop, but there are there are probably a couple design activities that everyone will will learn to do as part of their job. The entire product team. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's an optimistic uh, world. I hope we uh, get there. I do too. I think we will. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Braden. Thank you, Des. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, just visit soundcloud.com forward slash intercom. And if you want to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.io.